Okay, now uh, I want to share with you guys a continuation from our pulpit series from the book of Ezekiel, right? We are in the we are in end times Ezekiel. We have not studied the whole book. We are studying uh, uh, the end times Ezekiel chapters from thirty three through to forty eight. You know, so that's where we are. We are today in Ezekiel chapters thirty five plus a bit of 36, right? So that's where we're at. Today's sermon is entitled Trash Talk, okay? Uh, if you don't know what Trash Talk means, it's a uh, modern day slang for um, saying nasty things at you uh, or you see this a lot in professional sport when uh, two big teams are going to play each other and then in the last few days leading up to it, you know, um, they are rivals and then they will start trash talking each other, you know? Uh, um, and, then, and then they will start kind of like, you know, um, uh, it's, it's it's not nice, lah. You know, it's not nice. So, um, I, I initially, the, the maybe the more accurate name for today's sermon is cursings. You know, but I thought, ah, sermon title cursings, <laughs> not, not gonna cut it. So, so trash talk it is. Let's look at the text itself, and you can see how uh, God's people um, face some kind of trash talk from their enemies. Ezekiel thirty-five. Let me read the word. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Everybody say Mount Seir. Okay, Mount Seir is Edom and Edom is Esau. Okay, so that gives you a point of reference for the rest of it. Mount Seir is Edom and Edom is Jacob's brother Esau. Okay, set your face against Mount Seir, prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord God, that says Yahweh, right? Um, Adonai Yahweh, right? Um, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste, and I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know I am Yahweh. Okay? Because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword, this is Babylon, at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. Verse 7, I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go, and I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys, in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Now look, earlier he said, because you cherished perpetual uh, enmity. Now, he says, I will make you a perpetual desolation. You want to hang on to your anger and fight all your life? I will make you, I, I, I will cause you to become a desolation for all of your life. Wow, perpetual enmity becomes perpetual desolation, right? Then you will know that I am Yahweh. That's good. Look at the next one. Because you said, these two nations, who are these two nations? Israel. Judah, right? I'll show you a map later. Because you said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine. And we will take possession of it, right? 
will take possession of them, although Yahweh was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate. They are given us to devour. And you magnified yourself against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. Let's look at the next one. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate, Mount Seir, and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know I am Yahweh. And a little bit into Ezekiel 36, Verse 2, thus says the Lord God. Now he's speaking to Israel. Just now he was speaking to Edom, right? Mount Seir. Now he's speaking to Israel, his people. Because Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, right? The enemy said of you, Israel, aha, and the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt. Wow. They was, had wholehearted joy to grab the land and they showed utter contempt for God that they might make its pasture lands a prey. We looked at pasture lands last week that now the enemies of God want to make those pasture lands a prey. Wow, that is a lot of Bible, okay? Now, from all this, I want to show you two things, okay? Two things that I want to help you understand. Number one, we're going to talk about old wounds. And number two, we're going to talk about fresh fire. All wounds, deep-rooted bitterness, anger, hatred that has been festering there for many, many, many years. And then we're going to talk about fresh fire, how that hatred comes out afresh and how God wants to warn us about, about drawing a line and saying enough, right? Uh, so we're going to look at these two things. In between talking about old wounds and fresh fire, I want to take a short intermission to talk about the relationship between Israel and the church, how people have different views about how those two relate and how we as a church can honour people with different ideas from us. Whatever idea you hold, we want to learn how to be a church that can hold these things in tension. Okay, first, I want to share with you guys about the old wounds. And as you know, I gave you a little bit of background. This whole thing is Mount Seir, whom God is like really like scolding here, okay? Mount Seir is Edom. Edom is Esau. Esau is the, is the brother of Jacob, who is Israel. So essentially, what you are seeing is many years into the future, brother feuding brother. Sibling rivalry, not checked, left unresolved, snowballs over the generations to the descendants. We pass on the trauma that we don't 
resolve. It gets passed on to the next generation and then it snowballs and becomes an even more bitter fight and it goes on and on. Now, if you are new to church and you don't have the background on Jacob and Esau, I want to share with you about Jacob and Esau, right? And how this brotherly feud began in the first place. And my original plan was to share with you uh, the, the Jacob Esau story with paintings, classical paintings, okay? Um, but but when I started looking at those classical paintings, some of them look so ridiculous, I couldn't do it with a straight face. So instead, I'm still going to show you the paintings, but I've turned them all into memes, okay? So let's look at the first one, okay? <laughs> Guys, that's supposed to be Jacob. Okay, I don't know who painted this, okay, but it looks quite it looks quite bizarre. Okay, Jacob, why are you a woman? Isao, why is there a modern dog in our painting? So so the story goes, okay. I'm just gonna show you a few and then tell you show. Um, but clearly you can see Isao holding a bowl of soup. It's a bowl of red soup, right? And Jacob kind of giving him this look like, hmm, right? Am I gonna give you my soup? Right? And and what am I gonna give it to you for? Okay, so even if you have no background, there's two brothers. Okay, one is supposed to be a mama's boy, but here she looks like a woman. <laughs> and the other is supposed to be a brute hunter, a man of the wild. Okay, um, let's look at... Let, so I started looking for more pictures and I found another one uh, where the two, the two men uh, look like, look like uh, young uh, German SS soldiers. Let's look at the next one. <laughs> I saw this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like 1941, you know, uh, Third Reich kind of kind of uh, uh, political uh, 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 propaganda paintings. Uh, brother, I beseech you for some soup for your birthright and all your Pokemon cards. You know, I, I photoshopped the Pokemon cards in there just for fun, right? Um, because they look they look so boy, they look so boy, right? That I could hardly imagine Jacob and Esau um, uh, at this age. But let's look at one more. <laughs> uh, again, you see the bowl of soup. The bowl of soup always shows up. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a nice looking turban, right? What a nice looking turban on Jacob. I like that, right? Your birthright is tasty. And now let me tell you exactly what happens. Esau is the older brother. He has the birthright. And in an old ancient Jewish uh, community, if you have the birthright, if you are the first son, you get the lion's share of the, of the inheritance, money, land, and your descendants get the lion's share of everything that flows down, okay? We are a lot more modern these days. Uh, we don't, uh, most of us don't do inheritance and estate management quite this way anymore. But in those days, Esau was supposed to be, now you have to understand, Jacob and Esau are twins, they came out within minutes from each other, but Esau was the first, okay? And, and, so, and so he is the one with the birthright. He is the one who is due to inherit the father's best blessings and inherit the father's land and inherit the father's promises, right? The greatest promises. And so happens this is like the specialist of special families because their father is Isaac and their father's father is Abraham. And God told Abraham that through your family, I will bring, I will make your family as numerous as the sands of the sea. And then we also know that this is the family that is going to be, from which is going to come the salvation of the whole world. So this birthright is not just the birthright so you can get the shop lot in Kapong, right? This birthright is the birthright that is going to bring about the saving of the whole world. Did this young man know it? I'm not 
sure. I'm not sure. The Bible is silent on whether these young men knew it. We know that Abraham knew it. It's very likely that Isaac knew it, right? Whether these young men at this point in their lives were already schooled by their father about the Abrahamic covenant, we don't know. But what we do know is that Esau one day went out hunting. And when he went out hunting, his brother Jacob, the mama's boy one, okay, hung around at home making food. And then as he was about to tuck into his nice bowl of red lentil soup, something like that, right? Esau comes home from his hunting, famished, okay, and goes like, oh, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm so hungry, give me that soup, you know? And Jacob immediately says, I can leverage on this. No. Actually, you know what? No. I don't want to give you the soup. Esau goes, oh, come on, don't be unkind. Give me the soup. Give me the soup. You know, I'll give you anything. What do you want? I'll give you anything. Jacob says, your birthright. I want your birthright. And Esau, at that point, considering his physical appetites more important than his birthright said fine just 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 take my birthright you know i'm so hungry i'm gonna gonna die already what good is my birthright if i die and so the trade happens esau trades off his birthright jacob gives him the bowl of soup five minutes later the soup is gone and esau hates jacob for making that deal with him Many years later, when it was time for the father Isaac to give out his blessings, okay, Jacob comes in one more time, right? Esau says, Father, I'm going to go and, and, and hunt and, and, and cook you something, you know, so, I'm, he, so he goes out, right? In the meantime, Jacob comes and Manyama as his brother, right? Wears goat hair all over himself um, because Esau was supposed to be hairy. Somehow in all these paintings, Esau is not hairy. I don't understand, okay? And I found one painting of it, you know, where the father is holding um, the, uh, the, the, the Jacob hand, okay? The Jacob arm, thinking that it's the hairy Esau. Son, you're the goat, <laughs> Right, behold my hand of God. Right, if if you if you catch a Maradona Messi reference there, you do. Right, if you don't, you don't. Right, um, so so the father okay thinks that this son is his oldest son and gives him the blessing. You will be the head of this house. You will be your your brother will bow down before you. You will eat of the fat of the land. All the best blessings will be yours. Blah blah blah. And then Esau comes in. First, many years ago, they swapped and traded soup for 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 um soup for birthright. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks. Soup for birthright. Now, many years later, Jacob comes and nicks off the blessing as well right and the blessing was the blessing of the first right so birthright so in effect jacob comes and seals the deal he cuts the deal with the son now he comes in and claims the deal from the father and so in the wake of this esau is enraged at his brother he promises to kill uh, uh, um, uh, jacob if he sees him okay so jacob by the advice of his mother flees right he flees to padan aram okay which is a further away place and over time esau moves to a land called seir 
right? So, so we see this. Esau moves away from his father's house and moves to, uh, to found a, a, a his own kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of Edom, which is also known as Mount Seir. Now, how does now you see that in this map above that is Judah? Okay, this is in the time of Ezekiel. Kingdom of Judah, okay, has they they kind of semi-exist. They don't exist in the land, but they still exist as a people. They are in Babylon, okay. The northern kingdom of Israel, okay, is gone. They have been conquered by the Assyrians, they have been brought up to the land of Assyria, okay, they have been the Kachokan already. Okay, so 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 they, they have intermarried, uh, they are no longer a distinct group of people. That didn't happen in Babylon. The 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 the, the Jewish exiles remain kind of like within their own, you know, uh, uh, Jewish ghetto. Um, but so, but back in the many years ago, they went to, uh, Esau went to Edom and, and intermarried with the king of that land called, a king called King Seir, right? Or he was at a royal family. So you can see from the family line, okay, what happens between Esau and how he becomes part of the land. You can see, um, let's go to the next slide, the family trees. Okay, um, uh, there is a family already there, a royal family called Seir, okay, and then there is, uh, and then Esau marries into this family, right? One of his concubines is this girl called Oholibama, you know, and, and they have a son called Eliphaz. Eliphaz marries uh, uh, another girl uh, from the Seir family, you know, and then they have a son called Amalek, and Amalek is where we get the Amalekites, and the Amalekites uh, became the uh, enemies of Israel for many years. So it's Esau's family has been enemying with uh, Jacob's family for many, 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 many generations. And that gives us uh, a kind of like a, a, a backdrop, okay, to the enmity, to the hatred that Esau has for Jacob. That until today, right, there is still hatred and anger, okay, um, about your land right? About your land. That was my land. It should have been mine, okay? I don't know if, if it's the same, exactly the same genealogical set of people, but when I say until today, let's, let's at least take it to Ezekiel's time, okay? Let's at least take it to Ezekiel's time. Until press time in Ezekiel, the people of Esau, the Edomites, hated the people of Israel. Why? Because the generation after generation, the Atzor tell the Akong, Akong tell the Papa, Papa tell him, right? Okay, everybody knows this story of how, how Jacob swindled the birthright away from Esau and they hated Uncle Jacob. Like they will kill him, I kill you on sight, right? And so they waited, it's not their land. So they hang around the edge of the land and they're seething and they're waiting to pounce on the land. The moment Israel is weak, I kill. The moment Israel is weak, I go in and destroy you. And that's where we get some of these words that God levels against Edom. Let's look at the next slide. One of the things God says is that you magnified yourself against God. You made yourself big. You ignored the fact that I myself was there, right? Because it says there, right? The Lord was there at the time, but you came into the land and with wholehearted joy and contempt. We're looking at the bottom uh, two boxes, right? With wholehearted joy and contempt, okay? You came in to take the land, but God says, 
I was there in the land. It's as if uh, you got this young punk come into your house while you are there in, in the living room and he come and start unscrewing your TV and take the TV out. It's like, you show contempt to me. You walk into my house while I am sitting right there and you take my things and walk out as if I don't even exist. That's what God is saying. Let's look at the Bible verses uh, You know uh, um, about this. Ezekiel 35 verse 10 says, these two nations and these two countries, we will take possession of them, right? It's been given to us to devour. And then they rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel. They have been waiting for this moment. You have to understand, Esau hated Jacob and Esau has been waiting, crouching on the edge, waiting for Israel to have a weak moment. Then they're going to Become them, right? And so and so they say the ancient heights finally they can become our possession. Wow. Now do you see the flavor from, from Ezekiel 35? When you know the Esau Jacob story, they gave my land, my land into to themselves as a possession. And to make it a pasture land, the pasture land, it's a prey. Now, my friends, this is some vicious thing going on, but but how does this relate to us? Right? So now we know, right? And God pronounces judgment on Edom. And guess what? Some generations later, the Edomites were wiped out. Wiped out completely off the face of the earth. And the Edomites do not exist today. Okay, in its stricter sense, right? Of course, genealogically, they intermarry and, and, and you can make a case that some of them uh, form part of the Arabic uh, uh, families today. That's not my point. My point is, God said, this group of people, you were ruthless. You sh this essentially is your brother and you should, have, you should have mourned and you should have wept when your brother got carried away to Babylon. Instead, you stood there and you licked your lips and you couldn't be wait to attack their land and take their spoils. Curse be these people. And also for all the things they said, right? Cursed be these people. Wow. Now, Let's back up. Let's back up now. These speak of old wounds. Old wounds that are there for many years, not dealt with. And old wounds have a way of sitting there in our lives. Even today, now, even modern day, all of us. Old wounds have a way of sitting deep inside our hearts and stirring up strife and bringing out the worst in every one of us. It is not exclusive to the past. All of us have old wounds too. And some of us carry more baggage than others. I hope that for many of you, you have spent much of your walking with Jesus to work out all those old bitter roots. But if they still are there, I want you to put a pause and put your finger on those roots and say, I can feel it. I know it's there. Today, Lord, I want you to deal with this. Can I say that one more time? Church, if there is an old wound and it's a source of bitterness, anger and envy or hatred and it's somewhere deep inside your heart, I just want you to put a finger on that pulse, right? You, you can hear those ancient uh, uh, wounds still beating, right? Still alive. And I want you to say, Lord Jesus, this does not belong to you. I want you to say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Lord Jesus, this is going to make a monster out of me. I reject it in the name of Jesus and I want to let it go. It may be something with your father from the time you were growing up. 
It may be something with your mother from the time you were growing up. It may have been somebody outside of your family who wounded you. It may have been a teacher. It may have been a friend. It may have been your spouse. It may have been your first marriage. It may have been um, a sibling. It may have been, it could have been a neighbor. It could have been someone, some stranger who hurt one of your loved ones many years ago. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a leader in church. It may have been an entire church community. Somewhere deep inside our hearts, there may be an ancient wound still beating, still alive. And we've covered it up with a lot of things, but until now, that ancient wound is still alive. Today, put your hand on it and say, Lord Jesus, I'm surrendering this. Lord Jesus, I'm giving this up. Father, I just want to just take a moment to pray. Father, I just want to put a pause on this point and take the pressure off for a moment. But Lord, I just want to, before I do, I just want to say, Lord Jesus, let today's words search our hearts, go deep into the recesses of our past. And Father, may you do a work, may you do a work inside of us so that we do not have the kind of level of hate and anger and envy and bitterness that Esau had, that Edom had against his brother. But Lord, today we come before you to allow you to shape us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right promised you there will be a, a, a little intermission and ad break to take the pressure off this emotional topic, okay? Now, here's my ad break. Here's my ad break. Every time you look at Ezekiel 35, um, there is a little bit of a feeling like, oh, you curse Israel, right? So you'll be cursed, right? All these Edomites, they, they trash talk Israel. Because of that, God's going to bumble them, right? Okay, why? Where do we get it from? Genesis chapter 12. Let's go all the way back to our early part of our Bible. I will make you a great nation, God says to Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. And then here's the key verse. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, right? This is from the NIV, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this Genesis 12 verse is super, super important. A lot of people take this verse and apply it unto different groups. And because of that, um, a lot of people say that this group is has immunity. You cannot touch this group, right? Whether it's A, group B, group C, once you apply Genesis 12 onto a certain group, it's like that group cannot do any wrong. Even if they behave badly, you cannot say anything wrong. You cannot say anything bad because the moment you, 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 you call them out, it's like you curse them and then you get cursed, you know. So how do we handle Genesis 12? Really, that's really the heart of what I want to get into here. So who is it for? And what does it mean, right? Who is Genesis 12 verse 3 for? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Is it for Abraham? Yes, because it was directly given to Abraham. But when you say it's for Abraham, what does it mean? Does it mean it's in a narrower sense, it is only for Abraham, only that one guy, only that one guy. It doesn't apply to any of his descendants. It only applies to Abraham only. Was that what God meant? Or... Does it mean that it applies to all of Abraham's descendants? Meaning it applies to all of Isaac's descendants and Ishmael's descendants as well. So both sons, you know, God is saying, whoever bless you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. Is it that? Does it that is that what it means? 
more conventionally in Christian circles, we take it to mean that it goes down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, which means the Jewish family, because of the line that says, through you, Jacob, through you is uh, uh, Isaac, and then through you, Jacob, shall all the nations be blessed. So many Christians, in fact, most Christians will interpret this blessing going from Abraham down the line of Jacob or Israel, which includes um, Israel and Judah, or rather going back to Ezekiel's time to the nation of Judah in Babylon. Okay, so for many of us, that's conventional. It's the typical thing to hold. Now, if you look out your window today, there are probably some Christians who say that no, it means not just that, but specifically it means for the Israel that was founded in 1948, the national Israel that we have today okay so whoever blesses national israel 1948 israel okay shall be blessed whoever curses this israel shall be cursed okay and and i know many people who have a very very strong view on this okay i've got a moderate view on this okay but we'll get to that in a moment and then there are also other christians who say no it doesn't just apply to uh, to to Abraham's line and the genealogical Jews, the, bio, the, the biological Jews, and maybe it does apply to the 48 Israel or not, but it actually applies through that to all of the church. Does it apply to all the church? Does it apply to all the church? You know, think about it. We don't know. We'll look at some scriptures later to understand. But I also want to share with you what does it mean? What does it mean? To say... If, you, if someone bless you, they'll be blessed. I think that's quite straightforward, okay? If you bless them, if you bless Abraham, I'm going to use the expression very generally, okay? If you bless Abraham, you'll be blessed. That's quite straightforward. If you curse Abraham, you'll be cursed. Now, some people take it to mean that you cannot even say anything bad. Some people take it to mean that you cannot even point out the wrongdoings of Israel, for example. Okay? Now, I'd like to challenge that just a little bit. If you can't even call out Israel's wrongdoings, then you know what? We can't read our Old Testament video because the whole of the Old Testament, God is calling out Israel's wrongdoing. And you know what? Oh, page after page, chapter after chapter is of God calling out Israel for her wrongdoings. So does it mean that when someone does wrong, you cannot call them out? No, that's not what it means. We must be biblically faithful. It doesn't jive as a Bible reading. So what does it mean? It means that with hatred, to curse, to lay a curse on them because the word is curse, right? So to lay a curse, to say, I hope you die. Uh, that kind of language is like, no, right? So I don't care whether you, you believe it is for the 48 Israel or not. You don't do that, right? I don't care whether you believe it's, it's bigger and it's for the church. You don't do that. You don't lay a curse on anyone, okay? That's what cursing means, okay? It doesn't mean that, hey, I'm, I don't support what you're doing. You know, I think that what you're doing here is a bit out of bounds, right? Um, that's not what it means. That's having a healthy conversation. And that's not cursing Israel or whatever Israel means, okay? Whether it means includes the church or not. That's not what it means, okay? You can have healthy conversations, but we don't curse. We don't curse each other. One other thing I want to point out. Just because this Bible verse says, whoever blesses you will be blessed, whoever curses you will be cursed, therefore we don't curse Abraham, we don't curse Israel, we don't curse the church, doesn't mean that suddenly it becomes okay to curse everybody out there. 
that's also not what it means, okay? I don't want to lay that out very clear. Now, I want to share with you that when you walk out into the church, you're going to meet different people with different readings and different understandings about how Israel relates to the church. And so I want to show you, I made this next slide to show you, okay, um, that there are, I'm showing you two extreme ends. Two extreme ends, okay, of this, okay, and big words, so don't worry about the big words. At one extreme end, okay, on your left of the screen, you have people who subscribe to replacement theology. And replacement theology essentially says that the church has replaced Israel. Meaning, everything that I say about Israel, okay, now it is 100% the church. There's no longer any Israel. If the national Israel is irrelevant, there is nothing to do with anything anymore. All of the Bible now purely points towards the modern day church. Only the church is relevant. Israel is completely irrelevant. And every time you read the word Israel in the Bible, you can replace it with the church. That's fago. Okay? Now, of course, the most hardened replacement theology people will hold that view. And then you have softer, 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 lah, okay? And then you softer, softer into the middle. And then after that, you get the opposite side of the view. Now, at the opposite end of the view, you have another bunch of guys called dispensationalists, okay? The thinking is called dispensationalism. And in dispensationalism, the belief is that the church and Israel are totally separate Okay, and not just separate, but separate in such a way that Israel is the most prominent Israel. And they believe that it is national Israel, the 48 Israel, that plays an extremely critical role in the end times. That's why the church looks to Israel. That's why everybody looks to national Israel and this 48 Israel to see what is happening because what happens here is going to affect everybody okay the extreme end okay um you will have zionist people who are constantly perpetually looking at the land and praying for 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 the jews to come home there because they believe that all the hope is going to come through the regathering of israel now are there respectable people who hold on to replacement theology yes even a hard version yes are there respectable people who hold on to a hard version of dispensationalism yes church how now i could stand here and tell you which is the right view to hold mm. you think i want to do that church i don't want to do that i don't think that's going to disciple you guys in the right direction so what do i want to do i want to share with you and and help you know the opposing views I want to help you know that not every dispensationalist is as hardline as what I wrote there, and not every replacement theology person is as hardline as what I wrote there. Most of the time, there's a bit more moderation. And then there are many people who hold on to a little tension of the two as well. How do we manage this as a church? We go out there, we meet people. I want you to know this. Number one, these things, a lot of the times, these things, especially because they, they pertain to end times issues. That's why I wanted to use this end times Ezekiel series to help you understand these things. Because they pertain to end times issues, a bit of humility. Not everyone, none of us knows for certain how it's going to be. None of us knows for certain how it's going to be. So a bit of humility will go a long way. Number two, treat everyone with love. Christian love. There's no other way about it. Okay, church? So if someone's views on this bachanga with yours, 
treat them with love. Okay, just because you espouse some super strong, you know, replacement theory view and like you, you know, you you like you know, treat them with love. Okay. Just because they are like going on every everything from their mouth is Israel. They are, they they are eating kosher. They are dressing kosher, and they are, and and they replace all the the names uh, um of everything into Jewish names. You know, um, treat them with love. It doesn't mean that they are right. It doesn't mean that they are right. I'm not going to tell you how to think because in SIBKL we always say this: What is your stand? What is your stand? Right. Hold it in tension and treat everyone respectfully now now um i am going to share with you nonetheless a few things that are in the bible that as your pastor you need to be able to see okay the church has a role that's one thing i have to tell you the church has a role israel i believe israel will have some kind of role but i'm going to park that in the general category of a mystery that i'm going to allow god to be god to reveal to us in due time what and the extent of that role but i genuinely believe israel has a role okay i do okay now what is the church's role and is the church part of the promises given to israel let me show you galatians chapter 3 Understand that on, on the pink side, okay? Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Remember, the blessing was given to Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, uh, um, um, saying that all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. So church, I want you to know this. If you believe in Jesus, you have been grafted into the family of God and you are a recipient of Genesis 12. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. It's right there in Galatians 3. If you're not sure, look at Romans 9. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who descended from Israel are Israel. Which means that it is not just those who are biologically Israel who are called Israel nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children but actually we know this if you look at John chapter 9 Jesus is fighting with um with with the Pharisees and then uh, uh, the Pharisees say we don't know who is your father right and then Jesus says back to them who is your father they say that we are children of Abraham he says no you are children of Satan hey they are they are, they are biological Jews, you know, but Jesus says they are not sons of Abraham, you know, you know, and Romans, it says it here, not every one of these uh, uh, descendants of Abraham are children of Abraham. On the contrary, right? It is by those who have faith. It is not the children of physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of promise. Every single one of us are included. Will it include many Jewish people who believe in Jesus? Yes. Will it include us, the Gentile church? Also, yes. Do we have slightly different roles? Let's wait on God, okay? I believe that might be a mystery. And I'm going to pre be prepared to say, God, you know better. I'm not going to pretend to be God. Amen? Amen? So, all the blessings of Genesis 12 find their yes and amen through the cross. That's the most important thing. Does Genesis 12 apply to Jews or Gentiles or whatever? It applies ultimately in the cross. If anything, Genesis 12 is not the most important promise. The cross is the most important promise. And through the cross, we all receive the promises of Genesis 12. Amen? Now, all wounds and intermission 
And I'm going to close with this fresh fire. And let's look at the text. I'm going to close. Don't worry. I'm going to go third point, but we're going to blaze through it. God told Edom, you cherish perpetual enmity. Every day angry. You hold on to your anger for so long. You hold on to your anger forever. Because of that, I'm going to gun on you, right? Wow. Hey, that's quite serious. Huh? It means we know one thing huh, about what God loves and what God hates. He hates it when we cannot let go. So church, today I want us to know this. Our God is a loving God. He wants to heal you from the old wounds that you are carrying. But He really hates it. He doesn't hate you. He hates it when we cannot let go. Let go. Let go. And then he says this, you did not hate bloodshed. It means that when, when, when God sees how you see people suffer, even if there are people who are your enemies, God expects you to hate that bloodshed. Now, in the wake of the Euro final, I went onto Twitter and immediately I saw a lot of racism. Racism is one thing. I also immediately saw a lot of people taunting and jeering, sending out all these memes of people dancing, saying that this is Henderson, or this is Saka in the back, and all that. Like, gosh, the amount of mocking each other that our world is capable of doing is atrocious. Can I say it's shameless and shameful? And God expects us, when we see people suffering, even if it's your enemy suffering, to hate that their blood is being shed. God expects that of us. So today we learn about his values. He hates bloodshed, even the bloodshed of his enemies. And so church, I don't want us to gloat when people go down. He hates that. Don't gloat when people go down. Even your enemies, when your enemies go down, take a moment of pause and pray for them because God hates it when we gloat over their misfortune. Anger, envy, hatred. These are so generic, I don't even know where to start. But God does say, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't envy, right? Because all these things will come out of the abundance of your heart, out of all the anger, all the envy and all the hatred. You know what comes out? The next two, the, the revilings that you will speak and you multiply words against God. And when I read this, I immediately can remember all the times when I was angry with people. You know what's the surest way to know that you have an unsettled issue, a fresh fire in your heart? Old wound becomes fresh fire. You know when that comes out? When you can't stop talking about it. Every time you open your mouth, you're taking a snipe. You're taking a snipe. You're taking a snipe. That fella, always that fella, always you're just whacking that fella, always whacking that fella, always whacking that fella. Every week on a particular day, you're whacking that fella. After this meeting, you're whacking, 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 whacking. Non-stop, you're just sniping at someone. It might be someone in a fresh situation. It might be someone from your past situation. Whatever it is, if there is an unsettled thing, it will keep coming out. The Bible says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. But here we are today offering our gift at the altar. And the Bible says, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, or that for that matter, if you have something against your brother, first go and settle it. First go and settle it. So my friends, next week we're going to come back 
and offer a gift at the altar. But if there is something that you have with your brother, I want to encourage you to first go and settle it. 1 John chapter 3 says that we have passed out of death into life because we love brothers. If you, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer in your heart and, then, and no murderer has eternal life. So church, no murder of our brothers. You want to whack the church? You want to whack your brothers? You want to whack your old pastor? You want to whack your whoever? You don't even want to whack your present pastor, right? I don't know. Lah. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> okay. Um, but no murder in our hearts, right? You want to call out wrong behavior? Call it out straight. Call it out clean. Do it once, clean cut, right? But don't let it keep coming out from your mouth as a perpetual enmity. And then there are more Bible verses. You see in Colossians 1, you know, Jesus is the head of the church. You know, he is, the, he is the head. We are his body. Speak the truth in love. If there is a problem that any one of us may have, even with church, even with church, you know, you know, I want to encourage you, settle it. Clean, be objective, be straight, but don't spend the rest of your life slagging it off. You know, I mean, this whole series, we've been talking about shepherds and how the pain of shepherds who have wounded you. And I think I want to bring it to a close. Settle it here. Settle it here. If you've had shepherds who wounded you in the past, let's settle it right now. Right? Amen. I want to open up the altar for prayer. But for all of us right now, I want us to be ministered to by the Lord. So let's rest in this moment right now. I want to encourage all of us to just hold our hands open. As, uh, as Lionel leads us into, a, into, into, a, into worship, I want to suggest allow the Lord to speak to us. If there is a wound that is still beating, an ancient wound that is still beating, and you want to say, Lord Jesus, today I put my hand on that pulse and say, Lord, deal with it. Take it away from me. It's enough. You said, I've been sniping and sniping and sniping at them and you're drawing the line. Today, Jesus is drawing the line and he's lovingly but firmly saying, son, daughter, enough. Enough. Give it to me. Let it go. Deal with it. Settle it today. Once and for all. Let the love of God wash over you like a, like, like a love stronger than a thousand seas. Yeah. Church, for the rest of us who are in the main session right now, let's just hold our hands open. Allow me to pray for you and minister God's healing upon your heart. You know, church, I wish we could do this in person. I wish we could open the altar. I wish we could walk up from your seat. I wish we could lay hands, pray, cry together, speak together, look at each other face to face. I wish we could do all that. This is the best we can do. We give God thanks that we even have this technology to do this. But for now, I pray that whatever medium that connects us right now can be a same medium for the Lord to use to minister forgiveness, to minister healing, to minister reconciliation. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you reach deep into every wound that has been bubbling up as anger bubbling up, as hate bubbling up, as sniping bubbling up, as whatever it might be. Oh Lord Jesus, reach deep inside and bring healing. Touch us in the most wounded place. Let all these ancient wounds be healed 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Cover us with the blood of Jesus and bring about full restoration to ourselves first, deep in our hearts. Bring restoration there first. Heal us and take us on a journey of recovery, Lord God, so that we can be set free from all this bitterness. Every bitter root in the name of Jesus, I uproot you by the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we surrender ourselves into your hands to heal, to touch, and to make well again. And I pray, Lord God, that at the very the fruit of, of this is that you will heal relationships. Church, maybe it will take a day. Maybe it will take a week. Maybe it will take months. Maybe for some of you, just to reconnect might take months, maybe even a year or more. But my prayer for you is that all these broken relationships first find healing in Jesus Christ. And maybe it will glorify God that one day there's reconciliation in person as well. So church, the altar is still open. If you want prayer, you can type pray into the Zoom chat and someone will break out with you into a room. You have to press, yes, I want to join the breakout room. You will go to a room and someone will pray with you. For the rest of us, now may the love of God, the Father, oh, we love you, oh Father. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose cross is the yes and amen for every good promise, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, church. This Holy Spirit gives you power, and this Holy Spirit gives you healing. From the most powerful thing called power to the gentlest thing called healing, he gives it all in generous amounts. Thank you, Jesus. May these go with you, i.e. may the Lord go with you all the days of this week until we meet again and all of God's people shout aloud, Amen.